offensive tweets, and I was like, oh, I don't like this. Somebody's already trying to. I followed. I followed the them, and then they immediately destroyed the account. I was like, oh, they've been found out. Wow. Yeah. Okay, uh, folks, if you also want to talk about Illuminati, Nathan is here. <laughs> reach out. Sorry. Anyway, I shouldn't have interrupted. Welcome, everyone, to the Do Better Dev Show podcast. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts. Uh, my name is Gyanish Mishra. I'm a software developer. And I am here with my wonderful co-host, Nathan. Nathan Hi. Would you like to... I'm also a software developer. Uh, <laughs> and I'll also be co-hosting this podcast. And it's going to be great, because now we have a name. That's right. It took us three weeks to finally come up with a name. Um, yeah, and Nathan is our naming czar. So from this point onwards, if you guys see any cool names, podcast episodes, anything, Nathan did it. Just, mm -hmm. just assume that. Yeah, yeah. The benevolent naming dictator is going to be most of my responsibility. That's that's why you're the 50% stakeholder in this no stock company. Yes. <laughs> cool. So yeah, today we thought we would talk about Mentorship. Mentorship is a very important, crucial part of any software developer's growth, really in any career, if you think about it. So a lot of these advices and things that we're talking about might be transferable to other departments or your job that you have. Um, yeah. Would you like to kick us off, Nathan? Sure, yeah. This was my suggestion. So I'll explain at least what I had in mind for the topic. And Guillen will probably have his own spin on it because we didn't discuss this terribly deeply beforehand. So it'll be a nice surprise for both of us. But one of the reasons this was top of mind for me is I really appreciate the uh, ability to give and receive feedback as part of a team. So if I'm working with other developers, it's really important for me that they are willing and able to give good feedback and not take feedback personally when they get feedback. So being at a company right now that does that really well it's something I'm really looking out for and going to be wary of whenever I find my next job and make sure that I don't fall into a team that isn't like that because I've learned how much I care about it. So this was very top of mind for me. And uh, I thought, you know what, there's actually different stages in your career and depending on what stage you're in, different elements of giving and receiving feedback will apply to you. So if I was to wind back all the way and I'll start sort of with my first bit of advice, which would be when you're starting out and you're getting feedback and you th start to think that it might be a personal slight against you, it's not. Never assume intent on someone else giving you feedback if it's on your code. Obviously, if they come up and tell you you're a bad person, that's not uh, necessarily about your work. Uh, but if you're getting feedback on GitHub or something and it's about the code that you wrote, it's really important to remember that it's their job to give you feedback. And no matter how good you think the code is, remember that they have far more experience than you and there's a reason why they're giving that feedback. So there was definitely a period of time in my first role where I eventually came to the realization like, I just can't ship anything without getting requested changes. And as much as I want that to not be the case, I just have to accept it. And even if I think my code's really good, it's not good enough and I'll just uh, have to take that feedback and, and run with it. And I think that first team that was very willing to give me feedback set me up well for future roles where it wasn't like I had a year and a half, two years of 
no feedback followed by once I think I've got experience suddenly getting feedback because I think that may have been a big shift. So look for feedback early on when you can. And I would say if you're getting that feedback, great. Don't argue with it. Just sort of figure out why they're giving that feedback and by why I mean what's the reason for the change. Accept the change, try to learn whatever you can about it, and don't take it personally. That is excellent advice. Um, yeah, it, when you were talking about it, it threw me back to my beginner days. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be incredibly frustrating being stuck on the same feature for a week, two weeks, while everybody else in your team is pushing all these changes, code is getting committed, and you don't really feel like you're contributing. Um, and the mindset I had to switch from was not that I am a member of this team and I'm actively contributing and I am just making a change. It was, I am new here, I need to learn whatever is happening during the process. I may not provide any value right now, but in a couple of months, I'll be providing just as much value as these other people on my team and more if one of them leaves. So it is important for me to get to that standard that they have achieved uh, by doing all of these things. Um, one of my mentors uh, very much loved saying this thing where every time she had this task that was a little bit more, I don't know, repetitive kind of sorts, uh, she would just say, well, I did all of those tasks when I was a junior dev, now I'm a senior dev, and now you get to do these things, <laughs> so have fun. <laughs> Um, and, you know, at the time I was like, oh, this is boring work. But looking back on it, some of those boring things were required for me to fully understand. Once you figure out some automating some of those things or just looking at some database, matching it to a sheet, it helps you understand the schema of the database. It helps you understand how it was architected. Uh, and it's really that important cruciality as a beginner is to find the why and why you're getting certain feedback or you're doing. Detachment from your code is a huge, excellent advice, preach, preach. Uh, your code is not you and you will write terrible, terrible code. Uh, if you listen to our last podcast, uh, we also talk about how if you don't look back on your code in a couple of months or years, uh, you haven't really improved as a developer. So if you don't look back on it and wonder why you did it that way, because it's so much worse. Yeah. Exactly, so, yeah. so one of the ways to think about receiving feedback is you're getting to borrow from experience that you don't have yet, which is huge. If, if I could write all the code today that I would with experience 10 years from now, I would much rather do that but I don't have that experience yet. So if I know somebody who has 10 years more experience than me, it's really helpful to see how they would approach the problem and get their feedback on my approach to see why 10 years ago they might have wrote it, written it the way that I'm writing it now, but why they've chosen to do it a different way. And so if you can get somebody on your team that's willing to have those conversations with you, uh, or even just try to start those conversations, ask them, uh, okay, I'll do that. Can you explain why this is better than my way? If Because it'll depend on the person. Some people will be very upfront saying, hey, what you've done this way makes sense if you were doing it for this reason. Otherwise, this is how I would recommend doing it. And they'll give you their thought process. But if they don't, that's a great way to learn is asking them what makes you choose this way over my way if it's not obvious to you. 
And sometimes it's very obvious. You'll just look at it and you're like, that's clearly a much more reasonable approach. Or you'll write something, especially, I remember doing this for my first year or so at my first full-time job. Writing code where I'm knowing this works and it's not how I'm supposed to do it, but I'm going to get the feature written. I'll write some tests for it because I can do that and then push it up, get the feedback on how I was supposed to do it, refactor, my tests still pass, the feature or behavior is the same, but I've been able to take something, solve it myself, understand why my way wasn't right, and then update it. And I think you learn a lot in that process. Uh, and also making those mistakes later on, or will help you later on if you have to help somebody through that same point in their career. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh... Yeah, it's it's very crucial to just have that experience. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, yeah. I was I was thinking about this uh, time on when I was going through that. One of the struggles I had uh, was figuring out or like you don't want to ask because <laughs> you don't want to be dumb, right? Because uh, but that's like so far from the truth. The more you ask, the smarter it's gonna make you. If you don't ask and be afraid because it's going to come across as dumb, you're still the dumb. You, you haven't increased your experience level at all because you already just chose not to ask. And another thing, imposter syndrome is very common in tech industry. So please don't feel like you're dumb. I just used it as a phrase. Uh, we've all been there, uh, but you have, to, you have to get past it and reach out and ask. Some of us are still there again. <laughs> Some is, of us will always come back. It is a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. As <laughs> it, I was going to bring up imposter syndrome as you were talking there until you said it, because as soon as you said, you know, not what you don't want to ask because you don't want to seem dumb. My first, my interpretation of that was I, I don't want to ask even now because I don't want to be found out for being dumb, which yep. is imposter syndrome. Uh, and I feel that constantly and I'm always surprised when people tell me that they think I'm good at my job because I feel horrible at my job <laughs> pretty much all the time. So I think uh, it's important for everybody to be aware that five years in, you might still feel like you have no idea what you're doing and 15 years in, you might feel similar with new technologies and I've certainly helped people with much more experience than me with something that I happen to have just spent time on and they didn't. And it doesn't mean that one's dumb and one's very smart. It means that one person has seen that thing and the other person hasn't. So that's, again, just goes back to borrowing experience from people so that you don't have to waste as much time figuring it all out yourself. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you something you may not believe, but I think you're a really good developer. Sharp after working with you. I know, I just, <laughs> you're never gonna believe it. It's, it's, it's like uh, 10 list of things that Nathan will never believe, number three will shock you. That's right. Uh, yeah, just, that was. <laughs> That's the top <laughs> three. Um, yeah. So yeah, imposter syndrome very real, very much to look out for. Um, what What are some of the ways you would, I don't know, tackle it or some advice to for imposter syndrome? Look out and uh, imposter syndrome, or just like breaking that barrier to ask for help. Mm. You've started a job. You're doing good. You hit your first blocker. Yeah. You're like crap. I don't want to sound dumb. I've been doing so good. I'm getting so much praise because I've been doing so good. Yeah. And now I failed everybody and I must commit seppuku. So. <laughs> so my approach has, I've always had someone assigned to me in a way when I needed it, that was sort of my uh, technical go-to. And so 
I have, it's been pretty clear to me who I'm supposed to ask. And if you don't have that person, it's harder for me to give advice. But if it's your first job, or even if you're later on and you've had somebody set up your machine for you, you've had a point of contact with somebody and you can probably at least ask them if they're the right person to ask about this sort of question. Ask that first if they're like, yep, uh, they now know that they need to help you and they'll either point you in the right direction or for the person to talk to or they'll answer your question. And so that I think is good. But the other thing is you just have to ask because they're going to be more disappointed if you spend five business days not getting any work done because you couldn't figure out this thing that is a proprietary solution that they came up with that is undocumented that you couldn't Google because nobody else knows about it and it's just the way that they do it. And you should have just asked. So that's a big thing to keep in mind is get to the point of frustration, do a little bit of digging, and if you can show that you did a little, put a little bit of thought into it, that's often a good sign, even if what you put thought into was totally off base. They can see, all right, they, they tried a little bit, they aren't just going to keel over and ask for help every time that they get even slightly stuck. So that would be my general approach even now, is just don't spend too much time, just spend some time and put some thought into it and then ask uh, Reg at that point. What about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the due diligence is heavily, highly important because, um, yeah, being on both ends as a mentee and a mentor um, and somebody asks me thing and they're just like, this is the stack trace. I'm like, well, did you try to find the issue? And they're like, no, it's just something I haven't seen before, so I came to you. Unless you're on a deadline or this needs to be fixed ASAP, do your due diligence. It's nice. Uh, that means don't spend two days on it, but spend a couple minutes or hours, depending on how big the project is, how big your team is, uh, gauge that. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, I work at a company now that has lots of proprietary software, uh, and I have to go through Confluence, our internal wikis, everything, before I go reach uh, out and talk to somebody who's who's been working on that product or is the domain expert. Uh, and they really appreciate when you come with some context because now they can use some of the technical terms and help you figure out the problem faster. And you feel a sense of accomplishment because, hey, I tried to find something, I was this close or this far from joining the dots, but I did some work and they helped validate that. And since I, that confidence that I was sort of looking in the right direction from one task gets transferred very easily to other tasks. On hey, I, I sort of know what I'm doing. Uh, somebody can help connect, help me connect the dots, but I, I did good. And yeah, that's like the biggest one for me is look over that and do it. Um, but for anything else, it's just my very first team, I didn't have a technical person assigned to me. Um, and what was my go-to is every, if you, if you use Slack or any communication system, uh, whatever team you're on, they're gonna have a Slack. You don't wanna post it on a big channel with 50 people. Doesn't matter if you work with a team of six people, they'll have their own little channel. They always do. Uh, and just go in, talk where, where you're sort of comfortable with a group of developers and just dump your issue in there. And somebody on the team will come help you. If nobody elects themselves to help you or comes to help you, it's probably not a great work culture, leave. Uh, <laughs> but that would be my big advice. If you 
don't have a person to talk to or can't figure out the contact, drop it in the group channel and see where it takes you. Yeah, I think that's actually a good thing to touch on too, is especially when you want to learn, whether you're early in your career or not, if you're, in, if you're trying to find a place where you can learn, uh, a good sign early on that you'll be able to learn there is how responsive other people on the team are to your questions and concerns in general. If you are sort of dropping things in and getting just radio silence and that happens for two months and you really want your, the, your role on this team to include a lot of growth, it might be hard to get that if the informal channels are giving you radio silence and you don't have an obvious uh, formal channel as far as check-ins with your manager that they're going to help set up uh, internal learning opportunities or something like that. Because at least for me, a lot of my learning on the job tends to come from conversations that are just informal with more experienced team members. And if those aren't happening, it might not be a good place for you to grow in the way that you might want to. And so I would just say that it's a good potential filter in your uh, job search. Yeah, definitely. Definitely if you're starting up or if you're somebody who really loves to, you know, have a team environment. Um, the last company I worked at, uh, one of their core values was collaboration. And it was my favorite thing. It was the only value I very strongly fought for and cared about. Um, and team. Team was everything. And God, did I always like have a great team uh, as far as at least um, the projects I worked on. So I, I always had somebody to talk to and figure out issues or they could come talk to me. I always tried to be approachable. Um, Nathan might differ because yeah, I was yeah. just never there for him. I was never, <laughs> never feeling that Gian was approachable. Uh, mostly because he wasn't actually there, but... <laughs> That's why we have Slack or ro Rocket Chat, you know? Mm, yes, the open source Slack alternative that we all loved. Uh, we all love it, yes. Yeah, the thing to keep in mind with all this is that this is my particular preference as far as company culture goes, and there are huge differences in what other people prefer and what you'll be looking for. So. Some people will prefer one form of communication over another. Some people, this won't matter to them at all. So if you don't jive with any of the things that I'm saying, don't feel like you have to. It just might not be your cup of tea. But if it does sound, if it does sound like something that would matter to you as well or that you think you resonate with, then these are good things to keep in mind when you're looking for a team because they will lead me to filter out opportunities in the future due to comparing my past experiences with the current one that's working out really well and it's largely because of this uh, open communication uh, standard that we have in the team yeah no very much very much agreed yeah because um, if i if i was looking for contractual jobs i probably wouldn't really care how good the team communication is i am just there to do the things I'm already good at, mm -hmm. get whatever cash they're paying me and get out. Uh, of course, that's not a very long-term viable job, so I haven't had the opportunity to do a lot of those and happy with my full-time uh, choosings of so far. But yeah, if, if those values don't jab with you, of course, uh, not something you would look for. Um, okay, so we've, we've talked about uh, 
what to look out for and how to start asking for feedback. Um, what is good feedback? Ooh. How should I know if people are talking to me and telling me things, if that works with me or not? That's a good, good point. So I guess we'll stick with the side of receiving feedback for now and trying to figure out if that's good feedback. I think for me, I would go back to what I said early on as far as can you get some context behind this feedback and you can try to make good feedback out of okay feedback, but it's often difficult to make anything out of bad feedback. So if you're getting feedback that is incomplete sentence fragments and you can't even understand what the person's trying to communicate to you, that's probably bad feedback, especially if their first language is the same as yours, which I've had this on a previous team where I was like, I don't know what this feedback is. It is not good feedback because I don't actually know what it's trying to tell me. Uh, good feedback can also be based around something that is actionable, whether it's in your code or um, from your manager and talking more about how you can be a good team member. Those things are really great. And if there isn't actionable feedback, as far as taking good something that's okay and making it good feedback, I would say try to follow up on things. If you don't know what to take from a piece of feedback, getting clarification can be really helpful. Asking for action items with something like code review, that's very clear. It's do better on your code. We want you to write this in a different way. But if you're getting feedback from your manager that says something sort of ambiguous, like uh, it's hard to tell if you're present on the team. It's like, what does that mean? What do you want me to do? Uh, I had to come up with something that didn't feel like great feedback. But something that's sort of wishy-washy, you can ask, okay, what's an example of that? Is there something you'd like to see me do a bit more of to make that less of a problem? And just try to extract the, the juice out of the uh, initial small piece of feedback that was there. Uh, what about for you? Do you have any comments on uh, that? Yeah, that, that example was perfect. The two flags it raised in my head was, uh, a good feedback needs to be A, actionable, and B, have context. There's, there has to be a background or uh, something that it states. So instead of just saying, you should be there more, uh, it could say, hey, for the last four weeks, you've missed like five stand-up meets in the morning. Uh, the action could be, is the stand-up time causing troubles with something on your schedule that you would like to change? Is there better ways? Or what's going on? If Because sometimes people have personal problems that can't really discuss, but just raising the issue helps you understand what solutions we can come up with because your manager or anybody there isn't there to like, they're not there to push you out of the company. They just wanna get their job done, get the projects done and their whole, if they're not very good at wording what they are telling you, you may wanna just ask probing questions. Because um, yeah, if it's, if it's I, I definitely had that where it, one of my feedback uh, I was given was, I don't, oh, it was, we don't think you're working full time anymore. And I was like, A, what does don't think mean? Uh, B, I can provide you with all the data you need with my commit hooks, tickets, hours that I log. Uh, two, uh, the communication and how I respond to everybody in a timely manner and such. That feedback was provided to me because I was working a lot more from home and remotely. 
um, and it just seemed like I wasn't doing enough um, so it just needed to then I just it, the action for me was to figure out more ways to make it visualize or visible what I was doing because it was easier when I was sitting in the room with everybody and they could all just approach me as opposed to everybody individually talking to me and not knowing that as a group I'm answering 10 DMs in an hour uh, is yeah yeah cool I was debating that whole time I was like do I give an example no no I don't <laughs> think I will as, as long as you I don't know as long as it's a good example uh, that can help somebody improve for the feedback no, uh, the, why not no they, they my examples don't need to be on the internet right now <laughs> okay um, oh and then so, I guess the other side of that would be giving good feedback yes. so do you want to go first on this one? I feel like I've been going first on all these. Sure. Uh, yeah, again, it would. I, I will stick to my two somehow quanti quantifiable points I just ended up making is give context and give an actionable plan. Uh, if it's something you're not completely familiar with, uh, as a mentor, there has been times when I have gathered feedback from people who have been working with the mentee as opposed to me not interacting with them every day. Um, sometimes those things can be vague or sometimes there's a story and what you really want to do is you also want to get in your mentees um, context you want them to understand what their environment is like or how they're presenting themselves and where the feedback is coming from so because there may be things they're not understanding and as a good mentor while giving somebody feedback you you need to make sure they understand uh, one of the things I learned from a really good mentor uh, was if you're giving negative feedback, like if if it's straight up just a fact and something has been bad, uh, there's a rule of one to five where for every one bad you say one bad thing you say, you have to say five good things. And if you look really hard, if you even try, it's not that hard to come up with like five good things about an employee. Uh, if they're doing actually that terribly bad, you shouldn't be in a mentorship chat. You should probably be in an HR room figuring out if they should leave the company or not. Yep. Um, yeah, so that that would be my biggest one is set the room, talk to the mentee, uh, figure out what their expectations are because what the feedback is coming or what you think might be a good career move for them might not be the career move they want to take. There have been people I have gone and said, okay, you are a great developer you should look more into ops because you've been a lot more into front end back end now and this is what will make you a complete full stack developer and they would come to me and say i just want to be a project manager i just wanted a base of all these things and i don't really fully want to be in or go in the developer path anymore and at that point as a good mentor my job was to say okay if that's the path you're choosing let's quantify that let's figure out actionable plans and let's see if we can get you a mentor who's actually a project manager so that you have a better context of what you're doing. Um, as a mentor, while giving feedback, it's important to know you don't know everything. You just need to be the person who points them to good places and is just, I don't know, you have a lot of responsibility because if somebody is looking up to you as a mentee, um, you, you have a higher moral ground on doing good you need to make sure you're putting them first as opposed to looking at it as an administrative task or meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, that's like my initial thoughts. Sure. 
Yeah, my things were going to be similar. So one of them was, as cliche as it sounds, letting them do most of the talking and just listening. Because oftentimes you can give them a small prompt and then they'll think out loud in front of you and you get a lot of information that way. They'll often talk and themselves into a bit of a corner where they realize this is the thing I'm actually here to ask about. And then at that point, they'll sort of look at you and you can say, okay, is this what you want to talk about? And doing that and letting them guide the conversation, I think is often useful as opposed to trying to come in with an agenda of your own and say, this is what we're gonna talk about. This is how you're going to set smart goals for this quarter and things like that, because I don't know that that has ever been useful for me on the mentee side. And I haven't found that those conversations go as well on the mentor side as when the mentee's guiding the conversation and you're just hearing more about what they're trying to get out of it. And oftentimes they won't have anything that they're really trying to get out of it. And if they don't, but you do, that's a good time for you to step in and say, okay, well, here's some ideas I had. Do any of these interest you? These are some things that other people are thinking about doing. Do any of those interest you? Or uh, if you have specific feedback on something that you know they could continue to do better, that's a good time to provide feedback there as well. But in general, I would just say that you may be the position, in the position of authority, so to speak, but you're not actually the one driving the conversation if you want to have a good mentor-mentee uh, relationship. Yeah. Uh, side side note, every time we say do better, I feel like we should take a sip. Uh, com <laughs> completely ripping off Front End Happy Hour, great podcast. Listen to it if you haven't. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, that's where my mind went now. Every time you say do better, my brain's just like... Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, we, d we named that largely because it comes up a lot. So... Yes. I will take a nice sip of my, my water. <laughs> uh, it won't get nearly as spicy as fun and happy hour if I'm just taking sips of water, but... That's I right. know, I know. Maybe we'll grow into that. Who knows? Uh, if you guys want to find out where Do Better even comes from, go to do-better.club, and the first blog post explains the backstory of it. Holy smokes, I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, yeah, I'll finally know. Really <laughs> You'll finally know you are, you actually are mentioned by name in there, but cool. it's not for the backstory, it's for something else. Oh, that's well, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I should probably let you know when I put your name. <laughs> in I asked you like weeks ago, so it's okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. By the time this goes out, it will be weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about uh, asking for feedback, figuring out what's a good feedback. Um, what are some good ways to action it into our into our workflows uh, or what are some of the ways where okay you've had this chat with your mentor you have this framework and everything ready how do i go about doing better now uh any any thoughts uh i would the thing that i try to do is just do something as quickly as possible when it's still top of mind i'm an avid list maker so Anytime I've finished a conversation or if I'm in a video chat and I have access to Slack where I dump all of my current thoughts, I'll just throw in a list of action items as they're coming out of that conversation. Uh, sometimes I'll follow up if 
depending on who my manager or mentor is, sometimes there'll be one level of uh, very focused on documentation and keeping track of action items and things, and then I don't worry about it quite so much. But if they're not, if they're doing many things or that's not their style, I might send them a message and just follow up, be like, here's what we discussed, here's how I understood it, and these are the things I'm planning on doing. So not only does it close the loop, it adds a little bit of documentation, and it sort of solidifies that the agreements were made about certain things. So if you agreed to do thing X and you've now said in a follow-up message, yes, I will by this date have focused more time on doing thing X, it's probably more likely that you'll do it because both parties have now seen it written down. And so that would be step one is just closing the loop on the conversation, make sure that both parties are walking out with the same understanding of what just happened, and then take action on that thing as quickly as you can. So if the thing I was supposed to do was just write my code differently, then I'll probably just start working on that. Uh, that's not overly complicated. If it was something that's a bit too large to do in a single sitting, maybe it's more of a soft skills thing, which is something that I know I'm probably going to struggle with again after I leave my current team, because not every team is as good of a fit soft skills wise as, as mine. I would probably make very small, uh, smaller actions that I can take off of that larger thing. So if my goal was to come off, say, hypothetically, less abrasive in a meeting, then I might come up with some smaller things I can do during a meeting. Like, all right, I'll intentionally not lean on my hand during the next meeting because I know it looks like I don't care. Uh, things like that. And I would just make a note of this is the thing I'm going to do next time I'm presented with this situation and try to do a little bit better in that situation than I did last time. So that would be my two cents, but that's kind of how I approach pretty much everything. So habit formation or improving in things may take a totally different shape for somebody else, but that's my personal strategy for it. What about you? Mm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Actionable goals is huge. Um, let, let's say, and, and that's, and you touched on a great point there, right? The fact that what you may think is okay may not somehow come across to the other people in the room. Uh, and that really just depends on the team dynamics for other teams sitting with your chin rested on your hand might not be a big deal for some teams it may be and make you seem disinterested really depends if you want to be working with that team and we all have to remember it's it's teamwork right we just have to sometimes say okay it's not me it's them and this is how i need to present myself so that everybody on the team is happy and we can focus on the more important things such as designing the whatever API or whatever the meeting is for so that people aren't focusing on me. Um, yeah, but that, that's my, my general approach is, uh, the, like, like you said, once you have the conversation, uh, figure out what things you need to do. Uh, one of the things I really love to do is I have a Slackpod reminder every Friday at 3 p.m. that says, do better on goals. And that's, that's all. It's such a mega that's, goal. <laughs> I my goal is to do better. The backstory, you'll know why it's such an important, such an important magic keyword for me, or two words, two keywords. Uh, 
Yeah, but but I I have it because one of the things I love to do is I'm not much of a point bullet person. Uh, I like overall arching goals and every end of the week I think about everything that I've done for those overarching goals that somehow might may fit in that category and then I would just write that down as a little comment or make a little we have this goal management software I'm sure most companies do uh, and it has a little comment field so I go in every week I put in a little comment saying this is what I did this week that applies to this goal because uh, I will 100% forget later on um, I was doing this thing where I would write it down in a notebook because I prefer that a lot every day and then end of the week I would put it on to the sheet um, I got really tired of that and it's a lot more administrative work than I would like to do so I just <laughs> I rely on my do better reminders uh, to take care of it for me um, another thing I look for is if when I'm doing the Friday check if I've noticed for four weeks or three weeks now I haven't touched a certain bullet point I'll just think okay why can't I do that why haven't I done this and more often than not the option is just the task you're currently working on or the thing you're currently working on is not giving you the opportunity it's really important for you to identify that and go ask because your manager is maintaining I don't know 5 10 20 40 people and he's not gonna remember all of these little things so send him a little DM maybe you talk to your manager once a month and tell them hey I don't have any opportunity to work on this goal. Please, if you see an opportunity of this sort, think of me. Or if you can find me something like this, it's important because they, as much as they care about you as an individual and your growth, you're the only one who cares about your actual progress in your career and which direction you want to take it. Um, so yeah, so just do better. Uh, and <laughs> if you can't figure out why you can't do better, what's blocking you, and ask somebody to help you help you with that. Yeah, or you have the opposite manager type, which is what I have right now, where you say, I'd like to be a bit more involved in the deployment process. Maybe I could shadow somebody. And they're like, all right, you're now the release manager. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, things, things can go one way or another. Sometimes you have more responsibility than you were expecting, and sometimes you have to really fight for it. Just depends on the environment. Yep. And explains why you have the imposter syndrome so much. It's a completely changed title <laughs> responsibility just thrown at you, no, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another one of the strategies that I just remembered that I really love as far as development is concerned, um, peer programming. It's just, especially when you're starting out, if you're stuck, because uh, every time you send a message or DM and you're, you ask, hey, my PIP didn't work, like, for a random example, you open up your Python ID and you're saying, hey, my pip doesn't work. You're, somebody tells you, figure out this command. It's probably a broken installation. You fix it and now you're like, hey, my imports don't work or I'm getting the wrong version. And you will get tired and probably would not want to ask that over and over every time because certain things just have a curve on onboarding and then it flattens out. Uh, so for little things like that, maybe have a pair programmer with you, uh, really helps, uh, saves both of you and the company time in the longer run, even in the short run at times. Um, and they can help you. They can help you understand context, the language, why it does certain things. You may be sitting there wondering why the index isn't there in a for each loop in Python. <laughs> and they'll tell you why. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, it's. Gian's never gonna forget though. <laughs> it's uh, it caught me off guard. I, every single language I've worked with had an index and an accessor, and then Python comes in and it's like, here's the element. Why do you need the index? Don't worry about it, man. Um, yeah, so I will forever be sort of cautious about it, not salty. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up pair programming because that's something I totally forgot about. And that was one of the best things about my previous job was sitting next to developers that regularly needed some level of conversation about the code they were writing at that moment. And so I don't know how widespread this term is, but you know, rubber ducking the problem, just essentially being another human for that person to explain a problem to often is enough and that can feel like it's not mentorship but at the same time if there's something weird that happens where if you know that they're going to be able to fix your problem there's something in your brain that as you're explaining it you figure out how to not force them to give you the answer and you just get it so i don't know what happens with that but it works so basically what i'm saying is if if you are a man, if you're someone who is working on a problem and the person next to you is probably going to be able to help you with it, turning to them and just explaining the problem can be really helpful. And oftentimes it'll make you realize what's wrong. Otherwise, they will sit down and walk you through it. And then the nice thing about pair programming is you get to see another person's thought process on the problem. Uh, they're also coming at it more fresh, so they won't have all of the assumptions baked in that you already have about how your code works. So sometimes I've helped somebody else where I look at their code and I'm just like, you forgot to return here, or are we sure that this value exists? And it's like, oh no, that because JavaScript lets you do stuff like that. It's the, the assumption at that moment was this value is a Boolean and it's false when actually it was undefined because it wasn't passed in, but that's falsy and then everything doesn't work properly because you're thinking, well, why is it always false? So you get these, these benefits from having someone with fresh eyes come in, look at your code, and uh, chat with you about the problem. And if they are more experienced, again, you get all the benefits of someone with more experience helping you out with the code at that time. And if you get along, it's a lot of fun. So even right now, we're doing a lot of uh, remote work and even over Discord, there's pretty much always somebody screen sharing their code and debugging a problem, or uh, sometimes if they're setting up um, config maps or something, they'll have somebody from ops helping them out because ops can't be bothered to manage all of them because it's not their responsibility. But sometimes if you're setting up a brand new one, it's necessary because you don't want to mess up ingress or something. And so just that knowledge sharing in real time is a really powerful tool. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, for anybody a little confused with some of the keywords Nathan threw around, <laughs> uh, it's Kubernetes. Uh, once you get to it, you'll you'll know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about that. The the rubber ducking is a very effective way of taking feedback and sort of talking through it. Because sometimes, just saying a statement like. Somebody went on your GitHub, they typed in a good explanative feedback comment, and you just read it and you're like, I have no idea what it means. And after you talk to them, just repeating that statement a couple of times, if they've worded it properly, can really help because certain terminologies and things you will need to know 
um, every time I'm trying to debug React, I have just printed a large cardboard of Nathan and I just talk to it. <laughs> uh, not not in my normal life, uh, not that I will admit or deny in any scenario. Uh, but yeah, Cardboard Nathan helps me out. Uh, to totally, yeah, this is uh, not not a lie. And if somebody's coming at me for it, it, it is a lie. Please don't, please don't internet attack me. No, the internet's very friendly. They're a friendly place. Why would somebody go on the internet and just try to, like, do anything to you, right? No. One of the first comments I remember reading in a code base was from my first role, and it was just an innocuous comment above a function that just said, never trust data from this big, scary internet. And I went, oh, that's good to know. Thanks, security tips. <laughs> so. Wow, we've come full circle. Mm -hmm. We now know. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh. I have a I have a little question. So fine, I set all these goals. I have this nice little pathway in front of me. Uh, three weeks later, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, when I was talking to Nathan about it, this goal seemed really fun. Now it kind of sucks, and I don't really feel like I'm not vibing with it, as uh -huh. the kids say. Uh, and so, what do I do now, Nathan? I <laughs> uh, I would have to being. Again, someone with my personal set of quirks, I would sit back and go, does it matter that I'm not really keen on this current step in this goal, but does it get me to something I am more interested in? Or is this insight into the long road and saying, this actually isn't what I want to go down? So the difference, for example, would be something like, maybe you want to build more complicated UI uh, applications and you're looking at Redux and going all this boilerplate's terrible I don't like any of this I'm not having fun but you know that if you learn that it's going to help you write more involved react apps which is what you want to do that would be something you'd say I'm just gonna struggle through this I'm gonna learn how this whole flux pattern works and I'll build better apps that way in a difference or the opposite side of that would be something like the two years I spent off and on trying to convince myself to learn more about ops only to realize like every time I try to set up a CI pipeline or something, I realize it's really boring and I don't care because it's my personal project and I'm only going to care about this when it's real world stuff. Versus, whereas I have a friend who he set up a, a stock um, pricing simulator and then plugged in a bunch of um, those monitoring tools and he just did it for fun. Like here he knows I could do this stuff, but he enjoys that. And so I think of that and I think those would be good skills to learn, but I just, I can't get myself into it. And I'd rather spend that time where I'm really motivated outside of work to learn something, learning something that is applicable and piquing my curiosity instead of totally crushing it. So I would say to get back to your question on what do you do? It's try to figure out if, this is a dead-end road that you're going to hate the whole time and you're just trying to force yourself through because you thought it was a good idea or you thought it sounded good but given the new information it's actually not sounding good anymore and you should just bail excellent advice that's that's definitely the crossroads i've been at many times and i just because you because you have that struggle of this is going to make me a better developer 
but really a better developer or engineer if you'd like to call it that way you're being sold on your problem solving skills the better you will get at problem solving in certain domains is by learning more about those domains and you're only going to learn about those domains if they interest you and you don't hate your job and yourself so really just coming back to the path of figuring out hey this is a minor blocker it's been frustrating me for a couple of days but now i understand it and i can move on as opposed to i spent two years and i still hate jenkins and don't want to deploy anything on cloud uh, that's when you probably know that you are a much better person and more skilled at something else um, and focus your time on that and then that can change too so for example GitHub Actions comes along, and for some reason, that feels much more accessible to me, and I start setting up some small things that use it, and I go, okay, this is just enough of success for me to make some progress on it and feel better, versus previously, it would be, all right, I can get this static website up on S3, and as soon as I want to connect an RDS instance, I don't know, I spend six hours and it's still not connected, and then I try the next day and it's still not connected, and I give up, and I revisit it three months later, and same thing happens, and I go, this is dumb, this is impossible, and it, it, can't, it can't be done. Gien's stuff is all witchcraft. So there's a big difference there, I think, in, uh, or sorry, a big, a big difference can happen if you're able to get those small wins. So I guess the third route would be maybe you are on a good path, but you're not getting any wins early enough on to continue staying motivated. And so trying to get some suggestions on how can I accomplish something early on. So sort of going back to like what we said in a previous discussion about should someone learn JavaScript. And I said, it's a great language to start out with. If you need easy wins early on, you can make stuff happen on a web page and it makes you feel like you're doing something as opposed to if you want to build a Java app or something and the most you can do is open up a window and it's empty and it doesn't do anything, but it took you so long to figure out how to install Java that you're just kind of like, is this all I've got to show for it? Then that might not be great versus you open your browser and you punch in some stuff you copy and pasted from the internet, because that's super safe, and then run it and something happens, you're going to feel a lot more uh, success that way. So whatever path you're on, I think some level of success probably is going to keep you motivated. Yeah, so wait, you're telling me if I copy code and open developers console on facebook.com, I'm not actually hacking people when I paste it? <laughs> no. Uh, like if you go into DevTools and you edit your friend count uh, in the HTML, uh, that is real. I can change it to three. All the way from two. <laughs> all the way from two. Yeah. Unless Facebook bans my other account, then it'll be all the way from one. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I didn't think you could like out depress that, but you did. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'll try to do better on my depressing yeah, things. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, actually, yeah, don't. Just stick with it. I, I appreciate it. So I had one other thing for you, which is what do you think about SMART goals? And just actually, I'll just stop it there. What do you think about SMART goals? I won't preface it at all. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll touch a little bit, or I'll, I'll preface this by saying the thing I said before on I'm not a huge person or a huge fan of bulleting, bullet dotting things. Mm -hmm. uh, there are 
lots and lots of frameworks out there on how to set effective goals and how to do things. Uh, the frameworks that work the best for me uh, are any goals that are habitual. Uh, if there are habits that I need to add and I can do a little bit every day kind of thing, those things work better for me as opposed to setting goals on becoming a better DevOps person, let's say. Uh, if I start making a checklist of I need to conquer this technology first and go on to this, then go on to this, it has never worked for me. Uh, I have noticed I am a much more natural flow person. Like instead of saying, I need to figure out how static compiling works, then how to put it on a bucket in S3 and then figuring out how to get Route 53 to serve it or figuring out the URL. It's so much easier for me to just set a goal of learn how to deploy a website. And that's all I stop it at because there are so many segways you can get lost in. You can, if, if you're really curious, you go and look at internet and the stack and then you're like, oh, the OSI model layer looks really cool. I wanna see how the seven layers of networking protocols work. And that's not on your list. And now you're off the list <laughs> and things aren't, and then you feel like you haven't accomplished enough. Whereas on the other end, you really just learned a little bit more about what the general feel you're looking at. So I do put goals, but I don't, I definitely do not have a pattern or one of the frameworks that I really follow. What I would say though is, what I actively do with every single goal I set is I time box it. If you do not have a deadline or if you do not have some deliverable or something actionable that you set at a certain goal, you're going to just, because it's never gonna finish. This project mm -hmm. I can do anytime and so I'm not pushing myself or challenging myself and those are some of the goals I have failed at over and over again because the person setting those deadlines is full of crap and I can just not worry about him because that's me. So it, it sounds like the timely portion is actually really important for you, but yes. the specific is less so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the specifics I really like to just outline and not worry about unless, yeah, I, I just don't. I, I like to take my time and go through a certain flow. If I am looking at deploying the website, I am probably going to spend at least a day or two learning Hello World and React, View and everything, all these different frameworks, just to see which one of those I kind of like, uh, as opposed to just saying, hey, deploy a React.js app on static S3 with a CloudFront deployment or whatever. I may just deploy it on Heroku and call it a day and say, I understand the theory behind it. I can learn the tools later when it comes to the actual task. Cool. I, do you do you have any thoughts on, on yeah, that? Or yeah, so I was just you? I was just trying to figure out how to phrase this because I haven't liked any smart goals I've had to set for work, but I think my entire life is essentially just smart goals, uh, which is actually a realization I'm having in the moment right now because until this conversation, I think I've pretty much always said that I hate smart goals. But my general approach to learning everything is have something like what you mentioned where I know what the end goal of this is likely to be. And oftentimes a good place for those for me is either a six month or a 12 month timeline 
So that's when I'll do those big broad goals. And then I tend to set those really long ones or ones that are within a, a week or two. And so the there may not even be an obvious relationship between the small, super small goal and the big goal, but it's kind of a guiding principle. And when I set my next goal, I'll go, all right, do I think this will help get me towards one of those other ones? And that seems to help me more so than in particular, I think why they haven't worked for me at, at uh, in a professional setting is they're pretty much always quarterly, and I, I just I don't know what I'm going to plan for a three month time period, because especially if you're doing it around work, you're tending to get limited time to work on that thing, and it has to be something that I think will be big enough to justify three months, but not too big because I need to finish it, and. I think it's far easier to figure out what you can get done in one to four weeks than it is 12. And yep. if you give yourself a long time horizon, it's easy to dream up something that is much more interesting to you and will help sort of guide your smaller goals. So I would say that if you can avoid it, which I have in pretty much every position I've been in, just try to opt out of those unless they make sense to you. So it sounds like for both of us, that time horizon isn't necessarily the best for all situations. And uh, I would not worry too much about it. I've also been in a situation where it's very obvious that everybody who's asking me to do these knows that I'm spending time outside of work learning my own stuff that I'm interested in. So it's not like they're pushing that hard for it, where they're like, no, we really need you to set these goals because we're worried that you're gonna stop trying to improve. It's like, I'm addicted to that, so I don't think it's going to <laughs> stop. Um, but as far as, yeah, smart goals goes, apparently I like them, and I didn't realize that until just now. You heard it here first, folks. We got Nathan to say he likes something that he previously thought he hated. That That's that's not a thing that happens. He, he hasn't even said that he likes me so far, and, you know, that's just... Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't lie. I... I did say TypeScript though. I, I hated TypeScript for a long time. Uh, we don't have it on record. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is very, this is the first time somebody, our, our audience gets to know you better on that. Um, yeah, this is, this is dangerous. <laughs> the internet's going to learn more about me instead of just 20 minute videos of me talking about monads. That's true. If you want to know more about Nathan, nwcalvang.dev, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I've been putting a little more personality into those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, while we were talking about the the goals, one of the things I thought of that might help or be applicable to people depending on what they're like, because as sad it is, not everybody could be like us. Uh, Sucks to be them. <laughs> right, I know. Do better. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what I was thinking is uh, all these goals are when you set these or when you are chasing after them what's really important is you figure out where your value is um it seems like for us the value is more dependent on the theory the the understanding of it the mechanics of it uh so if i know how to deploy a lamp uh stack i understand how to deploy something else with angular or something else with something else uh and 
some people for some people they like their specificity they get their value from checking of boxes or understanding a goal mm-hmm. i've seen people who are excellent like excellent at getting a specific task done in aws and then the moment i'm like well can you transfer those skills to gcp they they just put their hands up cuz now the keywords are different and even though the underlying base architecture and principles are same they're just named differently they are a little bit lost and you know that's fine you wanted to be really good at this one thing in aws you have your certification good for you um but it's just that's not something that's i value a lot more i value the specifics so really just figure out what your value is at the end of the day for these goals and make sure they're interest like intrinsic they're driven by you as opposed to some goals could be driven by the company if you don't really know what you want but i would very much um encourage and just like go over the point again on figure out what is important to you cuz that is what you're going to invest time into at work or off work agreed cool. I, th- i think uh, that wraps up all that stuff yeah. unless you had more ideas on things no, to suggest no i actually thought the ending ending section could be are there any mentors uh that you remember that you may want to like oh, okay. shout out to besides me of course yes yes gian <laughs> is the best mentor i've ever had uh Hashtag #humility yes. we'll listen to humble by the lonely island guys yeah <laughs> yeah uh followed by kendrick lamar uh, yes so um I mean I guess the the CTO of the first company that hired me out here go to Moby um he was great because for some reason he not only was part of the interview process which was weird because I was a entry level position but just made it clear that he wanted me to be there which was really encouraging and I felt like I had this huge uh like shoes to live up to for some reason. It's like I I don't know why he would have paid any attention to me and even when the team has met up uh cuz since go to Moby's uh, since I worked there they've gone out of business. And so the team will occasionally just meet up and hang out and anytime he's been in town uh just always feels very warm and welcoming and kind of reminded me of like hey, if I if I had some high school teachers that really encouraged me to like oh it looks like you're interested in this thing go pursue this and it was sort of uh provide informal mentorship in that way it felt similar even though there wasn't anything he ever explicitly did that I could even point to that said yes he was clearly trying to encourage me in some way it was just he seemed happy that I was there and it made me feel like I had to do my best at work which I think is a great thing that if I could say how he did it I would love to share it but it was kind of just pay attention and and uh yeah make people feel welcome. So mm-hmm. I appreciated that a lot. So you just need to get more hashtag #good vibes. I suppose. I sp- yeah, yeah. You just need to be more welcoming and not sit there with your chin to your armrest. That's right. Yeah. Forward. Yeah, don't just judge everybody. And complain. <laughs> Yeah, we all know you're doing it anyways. Just do it with a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody worries about it. That's yeah. 2020 has been my year of pretending to smile at everybody. <laughs> Just at home in front of the mirror. Yeah. I actually always smile at myself in the mirror, which is I think it's good for my mental health, but 
We'll, we'll do a whole episode on your narcissism. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> That'd yeah. be easy. We can do a series. <laughs> yeah. How Nathan is a, is really a peacock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken. <laughs> Answer the question. Right. Yes. Um, I, I, we, we talked a little bit about this before, but yeah, the ones that come to the top of my head was also my first job. I, I would love to do like a little global survey and see how many people actually had a huge impact by their mentors on their first job. And then I don't know how many, how it like evens out as things go on later on, but they're the ones who really let you in and show this amazing tech world to you. Uh, so yeah, so I'll give two to my uh, first CTO, uh, Rob, and I'll just not say any last names to protect privacy. And then uh, Aurora, uh, she was my senior developer. And what I loved about them, and actually uh, an ops person who works for the BC government, uh, his name is Klesio, and he is the DevOps lead there. Uh, the things that all three of them had in common was the, what made them excellent mentors was besides their different personalities, which was welcoming in its own way for each one of them, um, was every time I would have an issue or I would talk to them or I would ask them to teach me something, they would show me a little path and would say, go figure it out. And I didn't know that was my way of learning until they did that with me. Uh, and that helped me really understand how I perceive or absorb information from other people. So yeah, shout out to them for like a, helping me figure out what my learning languages uh, and uh, just just being great mentors on that. Cool. Cool. All right. So we'll, we'll call it call it under successful end. We gotta we gotta do the thing that I suggested, which is I need to know what you are going to do better next oh, week yes. so oh, yeah this was my this is my suggestion to gam before the podcast today and we agreed so one of the things we're going to do is at the end of each episode or at least some episodes say something that we're going to try to work on before the next recording so about a week and then we'll revisit and see how our well check in with the other person at the beginning of that episode and say like did you succeed or did you fail horribly? And uh, obviously, if they fail horribly, you just tell them to do better. So uh, it all comes full circle. But again, did you come up with something you were going to try to do better or improve on or learn about over the next week? Uh, yes, yeah. I my, my non-official one that I am going to continue working on, not for the next week, but for the upcoming multiple weeks, mm -hmm. is how to do a better intro and not put lots of ums and ahs because right after I've done the intro, I'm somehow nervous and I'll just keep on going. Uh, so that's the one, get, getting more comfortable with doing that because I really hope and it is my true wish that we get to do lots and lots more of these uh, and I will just need to do better. Cool. So I'm going to mention, I had last week off, so I did a bunch of playing around with various things because it's amazing. After you have a bunch of days off from work, you get curious again. So one of the things I did last week, because I do want to at least take this opportunity to say what I focused on, because uh, it won't be relevant again after this week, was I messed around a bunch with Docker and I was just reminded of how much I love it because I pretty much just use it as a tool for making my life easier when I'm building stuff. But it was really nice. I wanted to mess with assembly, which is the other thing I'll be mentioning. And 
I needed to run assembly for Linux and I was getting annoyed that I couldn't figure out exactly what environment I needed to follow this tutorial that I was trying to follow. And so I just searched in, uh, for GitHub, Docker, container, Linux, uh, assembly, and somebody had written a little Docker compose that spins up a Linux box with, or Linux container with a um, assembly compiler already built in. And it's like, okay, cool. I can just pull this down, run this package, or run this uh, image into a container, and now I've got a little environment where I can run assembly for Linux, and it works. And then that got me thinking, you know what, this would be fun to play with. I wonder if I can find something more interesting. And so I started messing with a local Minecraft server running in Docker. And then I saw in their readme that they had a link to a somebody who had made a cloud formation template for a Minecraft stack to be deployed in AWS. So I got to learn a bit about cloud formation and see all the different things it prepared. And one of the cooler things was you could optionally configure a Lambda and some key pairs and stuff. So I set up those things so I could SSH into the container, mess around with that, and the Lambda would update the route record in Route 53. So you could, or your hosted zone, which is I think in Route 53. Yep. Yeah, it would update your record so the DNS was always resolving to the same uh, name, which was really nice because every time you spun up the container, it would change the public uh, IP. So just learning all those things was a lot of fun and it reminded me that it's not necessarily certain things or technologies that are interesting or boring, but if you can find a interesting way to interact with those technologies, then it can be good. So for example, instead of making another CRUD app, being like, oh, can I create a, a running Minecraft server with the seed I want and the settings that I'm looking for on AWS? And I, I could, so it was a lot of fun to have that unique little challenge. But picking up for the next week, I've decided that I'm gonna to try to finish this assembly uh, tutorial that I'm going through. I've got some of the basics uh, finished and my goal is to at least write a little, even if it's just a for loop or something that sums up all the numbers or integers, I guess, in a, in a list. If I can do that at some point, maybe not in the next week, but if I can continue on this tutorial and then at some point in the next two or three weeks have that working, then I think that would be satisfactory for me in my uh, journey through getting some context on what assembly does. And that'll be me. Wow. I was very right. rambling. Well, I didn't expect it to go so long. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are the good ones, right? It's, it's the natural flow. Uh, so Nathan, if people wanted to you know, reach out to you to yell at you for, uh, don't. I don't know, assembly, uh, yeah. because I will, uh, and, and or figuring out their own Minecraft server and figuring out why you're gunning for people in ops and their jobs instead of just sticking to your full stack world. <laughs> uh, how can they reach you? Where? <laughs> yeah, I'm NW Calvank everywhere, pretty much on everything. <laughs> and if I'm not on there, then I should probably join, unless it's TikTok, which I will never join. So oh. I, you won't find me on TikTok, but you'll find me pretty much everywhere else. What about you? Okay. So great opportunity for anybody who wants to learn uh, deep face algorithm, create an NW Calvank on TikTok, use deep face, Nathan's face, and... That's uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Not no, somebody did create a fake 
Twitter or something, and they just had weird. It was Nathan Calvank, and I'm like, I'm the only one. Uh, so this is weird. And yeah, they just had a bunch of offensive tweets, and I was like, oh, I don't like this. Somebody's already trying to. I followed. I followed the them, and then they immediately destroyed the account. I was like, oh, they've been found out. Wow. Yeah. Okay, uh, folks, if you also want to talk about Illuminati, Nathan is going to reach out. <laughs> anyway, I shouldn't have interrupted. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, if you if you want to get in touch with me, uh, please um, reach out to me on my Twitter. It's G-Y-A-N code. Uh, or go check out the Do Better blog. And on there, under the author name, I have a whole bunch of links on so many ways you can reach out to me. You can even buy me a coffee cup, apparently. That's a thing people do now. Oh. Kofi.com or something. Um, yeah, but the it's do-better.club. It'll be in the show notes. And in, in, I guess in case of YouTube, it'll be in the description box. Come check us out. Um, yeah, and thank you for giving us your time. And we hope to provide you with more value and great episodes. That's right. See you next week. Bye. Great work, Jim.